0: Hello once again and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. I'm your host, my name is Jeremy Walker, and I'm a pastor of Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crawley in West Sussex in the southeast of England. Together we're working our way through sermons that were preached and then printed by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the eminent Victorian pastor, preacher and evangelist. And today we've come to Sermon 1072, entitled My Prayer, preached on the 22nd of September 1872 at the Tabernacle in Newington. The text is Psalm 119 verse 37. Quicken thou me in thy way or enliven me in your way. The sermons that we're reading this week are 1067 through to 1073, but this is our featured sermon. Quicken me, revive me, enliven me. This is my prayer as Spurgeon presents it. And it's fascinating how this sermon seems to bubble right out of the preacher's soul. I don't want to get too uh, obsessive about it. Uh, I don't want to read too much into it. But I'm fascinated as I read through these sermons by the way in which Spurgeon's sentence structure, let alone his sermon structure, the very sentences, the, the length of them, the rhythm of the words, the, the way that he puts his paragraphs together, the way that he structures his individual points, often seems to reflect less the, the substance of the sermon uh, in, in terms of the actual material that he's preaching uh, and more the mood of the sermon. Uh, I think it would be very interesting not to uh, so much think about uh, the particular texts and the tone of the sermon, although I think that's a significant element of this, but even to ask, uh, what's Spurgeon's mood, if I can put it that way? What state is he in? What's his uh, spiritual level of excitement or intensity? Uh, What's his physical or mental state and condition as he preaches? And how does that play in to the rhythm of his speech and the the way that he he speaks uh, in the moment leaving that aside, I hope you'll pick up something of the intensity because Spurgeon talks in the introduction, and it's one of his briefer ones, about how this prayer for quickening, enlivening, reviving is repeated nine times in the psalm. The form of it differs, he says, but it's always the same vehement cry, quicken thou me, O Lord. In addition to this, you will hear David twice acknowledge that God had quickened him, saying, on one occasion, your word has quickened me, and in another place, your precepts have quickened me, so that eleven times in one psalm, David turns his contemplations to this subject of quickening. This shows us, says the preacher, the very great importance which he attached to it. Remember well, he says, that this psalm is dedicated to the praise of the word of God, Throughout its entire length it sounds forth the honour of God's statutes and in some way or other the word of the Lord is mentioned in every one of its 176 verses. The psalm is a star of the first magnitude and all its beams direct us to the divine statutes. So it's clear from this, says Spurgeon, drawing out a, a, a principle from the whole of the psalm that there must be an intimate connection between quickening and the word of God. And that's a connection that we need to bear in mind as we work our way through this sermon. So if you are going to mourn your sluggishness, your slowness and dullness, see it in the light of God's word. And if you would escape from your sloth, be animated by the holy warmth of revealed truth. Spurgeon's basic outline is to deal with the believer's frequent need as revealed in the the prayer for enlivening or quickening. Secondly, that this prayer directs him, the the prayer, to the sole worker of his quickening. And thirdly, it describes the true sphere of renewed spiritual vigour, before fourthly, denoting that there may be special reasons and seasons why we should cry, quicken me. Now, this first point is, is really quite a lengthy one. Uh, and this is the one where where Spurgeon really seems to be speaking from the heart it's uh, you can hear that the sermon as a whole has this four point structure moving through the the sequence of thoughts that Spurgeon has but the the first point and the longest point he's flitting from notion to notion he's rapidly running through this. Uh, quite wide range, this this gamut of human experience that that emphasises how dependent we are on God for His mercies. So you're not going to get real sub points here. Uh, almost every paragraph is a sub point. Quite hard sometimes to work out where he's shifting from one idea to another but it's intense. There's variety, there's range and scope. There's real insight here into the hearts of believers. So when you pray, revive me, quicken me, enliven me, Spurgeon says, first of all, I'm sure this is a frequent want or need of believers. Notwithstanding the grievous fault into which David fell, his inner life was as a rule vigorous, healthy and energetic. And yet it's David who prays so often, quicken me. Oh my soul, says Spurgeon, you are not to be compared with David for a single moment. What need then do you have to pray again and again, even with agony of soul? Quicken me, O God. So, frequent want. Then... Is there no reason to refer to others of God's servants for proof of this? Moving so swiftly on, you yourselves know in your own souls that your spirit is most apt to become sluggish and that you have need frequently to put up the prayer, quicken me. If we have a son who's dead in sin, let's ask the Lord to raise him up even from the beer of his transgressions. And the coffin, we might say. Or if it be a little daughter at home, fair and lovely, yet unquickened, let our prayer be to the great master that he would come and raise her up. He's able to raise any of the spiritually dead, for he has raised us. So let our own conversion encourage us in praying for the spiritual resurrection of others. So Spurgeon here is moving from our own need for enlivening to our expectation that God can enliven others. If God can quicken us when we become sluggish, if God has made us alive to begin with, then he can also raise up others. So he's moving around quite a lot here in terms of his thoughts and applications. But brothers, he goes on, although we ourselves are quickened in that sense, we have still need to continue the prayer. there's degrees and measures there's development remember the days of your first awakening when you had only sufficient life to look mourn and lament that you had so little then you needed fuller light and healthier life and no prayer could have better suited you than this which is now before us quicken me and if God has done that he says have you never felt the need of this prayer when you've been cast down by affliction There was no restored joy for you till you learned again the meaning of the Redeemer's words, I am the life, lying at the foot of his cross. You saw the vital blood flowing from his dear wounds and you cried, quicken me. Forth from the heart of Jesus came a stream of warm life which entered your soul, renewed your faith, inspired you with sacred confidence and diffused within your spirit a blessed calm in which you softly breathed the life of God and rose from your affliction as one quickened from among the dead. What about worldliness, he goes on, that horrible swoon of the heart toward Christ? "'Men after God's own heart have cried, "'My soul clings to the dust. "'Revive me according to your word, O God. "'You've loved some earthly thing. "'Some child, perhaps, has clambered into your heart's throne "'while it's been fondled on your knee. "'Lawful loves have become unlawfully engrossing "'and have eaten the Lord's portion. "'The son of David has been displaced by a usurper, "'or at least another throne has been set up in his palace.' Have you not been horrified at your own idolatry and resolved to have done with it, cost what it may? Spurgeon mourns, earth sticks to our hearts, especially those forms of it known as gold and silver, and lumps of adhesive earth make a pilgrim's progress tardy. You cannot wrestle in prayer while loaded down with worldly cares. No runner can win a race when he stoops under great weights. It's impossible to commune with God and yet to fix one's heart on money making, and and Spurgeon says if you're a busy man you ought to be daily pleading for quickening, though you mingle little with the business or politics of the hour. He says, though I mingle little with the business or the politics of the hour. He says. I feel a somnolent, that is, a, a sleepy influence creep over me from the smoke of these tents of Kedar in which I dwell, like that which Bunyan mentions in his description of the enchanted ground where the very air made men drowsy. This influence tends to preaching mechanically, as an automaton might do if properly wound up, and it leads to praying by routine after the manner of a Tibetan windmill or a ritualistic priest, Hideous is this temptation to perform one's duties officially because it is the time to do this and the proper hour to do that. Oh my God, deliver us from crawling along in the ruts and slipping sleepily along the grooves. We want life, vivacity, vigour, diligence, fervour, passion, vehemence in the service of our God or else our Christianity is worth no more than a nutshell out of which the worm has eaten the kernel and left nothing but rottenness and that's why we need to pray, quicken me. He asks again, don't the most warm-hearted among us feel the need of more quickening? So many ways in which we see how far short we're falling of God's glory. If we found the priceless pearl, are we enchanted with it? asks the preacher. If you've lost fellowship with Jesus, does that loss depress your spirit? Are you as eager to be rich in grace as to be great in wealth? Do you prize Christ as you do your profits? Are you as eager in a prayer meeting as you are on the market? I fear, brothers, that a comparison between our zeal for temporal and spiritual things would lead to very humbling conclusions and give us reason to cry, Lord, deaden me to this world, but quicken me toward the world to come. Then he says, uh, make a comparison, when you think of the earnestness of men of the world in their callings and pursuits. This is what he says. Science daily increases her martyrology, but where find we ours? Where is the chivalry of Christians? Alas, where survives the heroism of the cross? In former times the followers of Christ counted not their lives dear unto them for his sake, but now we hug ourselves in ease and venture little for the Lord. The world has warm followers and devoted friends, But Jesus is attended by a lukewarm band of men who are more likely to sleep at Gethsemane's gates than to watch with him for a single hour. O Lord of love, will you not quicken us? Behold our need, forgive our sin, and from this good hour teach us how to live. Then he says, compare the other direction, think of the zeal of some of the Lord's servants. Put yourself, beloved brother, side by side with Paul for a few minutes. Think of his zeal unquenchable. Remember his voluntary exposure to a thousand risks, his sufferings and his labours for the propagation of his master's gospel. Where are we and what are we? Alas, we blush and sink to nothing in the presence of such a man. Others of like energy have been and are in the church. Why are we so unlike them? Shame, shame upon us. Then he asks us, compare yourself with yourself. Recollect what your own zeal was at one time when you ran, but now creep, where you blazed and glowed, but now are left with just a few sparks. When you had the the love of your espousals, the the warmth of your first affection, and now you've grown cool. He says, think of our condition of spiritual life and of what it ought to have been when we remember our obligations to our Saviour. Why, sirs, if we lived for Jesus solely and evermore and died a thousand deaths for him, these were cheap things to lay at the foot of his dear cross. He deserves infinitely more from us. Think, I pray you, of all the truths of our religion and ask yourselves what kind of life they require of us. We believe that men are lost, he goes on, and shall we be idle when in our hands is the gospel which alone can save them? We know that men are passing into a condition in which they shall forever abide, everlastingly blessed or eternally accursed of God. And only the truth that we have to tell them can secure them from unending misery. And can we withhold the saving word? These then are the the things that that Spurgeon is is thinking about and his his mind seems to be darting in all these directions. Uh, I confess, I'm not sure... I think I can see some some connections between one and another but it seems to be a this this kaleidoscopic sense of the various ways in which we need to be quickened the 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 occasions and the circumstances which show how dull we have become and that brings us then to this second heading that quicken thou me uh, in the authorized version quicken thou me it's it's a it's a prayer that is directed to a person. David seeks this reviving grace from the Lord alone and so the text is directing us to the sole worker of this quickening. God out of heaven alone can make instrumentality to be a vital service to us. Not even the sweetest suckers of the communion table can bring back vigorous life to the Christian apart from the anointing of the Holy Ghost so rest not in the outward, for it cannot touch the inward. Spurgeon's point is that uh, it is to God that you must turn. He's not against instrumentality, and he'll talk about that in the course of this point, but he wants us to understand that it is God himself who gives the life, and God himself who employs instrumentality to grant that life or to work that life in his people. They say that for a sick man then his native air is best, and my native air was Calvary. Wasn't it yours? So you go back to the bloodstained spot. You go and breathe the atmosphere of atoning love again. You must go back to the point at which God himself is showing his heart toward you. My ministry cannot quicken you, says Spurgeon, but the Lord can. He has only to send forth the divine life and the dullest the most slothful the most barren, the most dead among us would become warm with apostolic fervor, and the life divine would make us shine as the glittering seraphim which surround the burning throne. Oh God, how this moves us to pray to you. You can do it. Do it now. Quicken thou me in thy way. So, did you notice, says Spurgeon, that in this text, nothing is said about the means by which the Lord is to quicken us. Here's that point. It's not that God ignores instrumentality. God uses means, but it is God himself from whom this enlivening comes, and so the means are left by David to God's discretion. What are such methods that the Lord might employ? Well, there's prayer, and you'll find it In the psalm, in the 149th verse, says Spurgeon, in the 156th, quicken me in your judgment, as if he left it to infinite prudence to select its own methods. But God can use affliction. Personal affliction is like tonic medicine, by which our relaxed energies are strung up again, but to this end it must be sanctified or it will fail. Blessed be God, he says, for a flick of his whip, we might else have stumbled in our sleep and fallen. Will afflictions be used to quicken us? So too might great mercies. A man may be stirred up to diligence by a sense of gratitude to God for great mercies. I grant you it does not always have that effect, but it ought to do so. Oh, if our hearts were right, it would be sweet to say, here's another mercy, another favor from God. This binds me with another cord to his service. I will love him more and devote myself more intensely to his work. Christian example is a means to stir us up, reading holy biographies, lives like those of McChain or or Brainerd or Whitfield's ministry, making us think, what are we? What are we living for? Spurgeon says you've got to come close to home. Truly, in many a congregation of Christians, yes, even our own denomination, the worship of God is done in such a mean, stingy, dead and alive way that it seems as if Christ were asked to the assembly to be insulted rather than to be honoured. Verily, such treatment of our Lord is enough to make us weep tears of blood and then drive us onward to a service hitherto unparalleled in these frigid days. So you can be stirred up by the wonderful examples or you can be rebuked by the failures that are around us. Then a warm-hearted ministry has much to do with quickening us. And if we have a choice of ministries in any place, we should select not that which tickles the ear most, but that which most enlivens the heart. If there are two ministries to be had, one of which is highly rhetorical and exceedingly pleasing to the intellect, but the other though lacking in these points, nevertheless appeals to our conscience, arouses our heart, feeds us with spiritual meat, and incites to higher degrees of sanctity, choose that, for it is the ministry which God approves. Then, under God's blessing, every one of our own graces may become a means of enlivening us. Faith, as it believes the great things of God, will be sure to arouse us. Hope, looking forward to the bright reward, will cause us to labour where otherwise we might have fainted. Love, the forehorse of the team, will draw us to serve Christ with might and main. So he says, see how God, who is the, the quickener, the enlivener, has both gentle and rough means of quickening us. But for my part, if he will but quicken me, I will make no bargain with him. Let him do as he wills. You see the point. Oh God, quicken me. Enliven me, revive me, and use whatever means are needful in order to accomplish your purposes. Do what you will with me, my Lord, says Burgeon, Only keep me from being lukewarm, cold-hearted, dead and alive. Do make me to be all on fire for you. And he says, remember that this is a promised blessing. Quicken me according to your word. That thought repeated in the psalm. a a blessing truly to be pleaded for. God has promised it. Then our text describes the sphere of renewed vigour and having given himself so expansively to considering our need in that uh, wide-ranging survey of the experience of God's people, Spurgeon's now intense in these last two briefer points. The sphere of renewed vigour. Quicken me, In your way. I have no business to ask God to quicken me in my own way, no right to ask Him to quicken me merely that I may enjoy myself religiously, or be thought to be a very eminent Christian, or be able to sit down and contemplate my own beauties and perfections with self complacency. No, says Spurgeon, he that merely has a name to be religious is sure to advertise it, but he who is rich toward God is the very man who thinks himself poor and cries out, Lord, quicken thou me. So what then is this path in which we require this reviving and enlivening influence? He has a number of points. First, the way of duty in common life. Am I a father? Quicken me to bring up my children rightly. Am I a housewife? Lord, quicken me that my duties at home may be discharged as in your fear. Am I a servant or master? Lord, quicken me. I have my temptations in my daily calling. Quicken me to stand against them. And I also have my daily opportunities for serving you. Quicken me to make use of them. He has this real talent as a preacher when he needs to of condensing his thought into just these one or two uh, longer sentences. Uh, I think what you've got here is the sense of a man who's got his uh, sermon notes, if you will, his, his, his main lines of address out before him and when needed he can uh, do not much more than just uh, encapsulate that point in one or two lines so he says quicken me in the duty of common life quicken me in sacred activity am i a preacher lord help me to preach with all my might and with all your might too am i a teacher in a school Lord, grant that I may not go to sleep over my children, but may win their souls, being blessed by you with the earnestness which tells upon youthful minds. Have I any other work to do? Am I a deacon or elder of the church? Let me be so ardent in piety that my fellow members may be excited by my zeal. You have all some work to do for Christ. I hope you have. If you have not, go home and begin. But if you are doing your work, I know your prayer must be... Quicken me in your way. Again, does David not mean, Quicken me in the way of patient suffering? Not even the song of the angels is more sweet to God's ear than the resignation and patience which are to be found in the hearts of the sons and daughters of affliction. But you will want great grace for this, my sister. You will want a strong inner life for this, my brother. Therefore pray, Quicken me in your way. The same is true of the way of hallowed worship. We want to be quickened there, quickened in private prayer, quickened in public prayer, quickened in our family devotion, quickened in our reading the scriptures, quickened in our contemplations of divine love, quickened in all forms of worship. We require to be quickened in our growth in grace, in humility, in patience, in hope, in faith, in love, in every good gift. Especially we need to be quickened in communion with our God. So then let us pray that prayer, Quicken thou me in thy way. And then, lastly, the connection of the text, says Spurgeon, denotes that there may be special reasons and special seasons for this prayer. Here then is that intensity. Uh, I I know in some senses, if you were to time the the sections of this podcast, uh, we're uh, covering more or less the same amount uh, as we look at each of these sections but uh, in these latter ones, when I'm quoting, because it's so dense and intense, uh, I'm really just quoting the uh, the sentences as a whole. Uh, and, and therefore, you're, you're getting more uh, in, in short compass. So you come to this last point, and it's about the same length on the page as the third one. Special reasons, special seasons. David's been exposed to a temptation. That temptation has reached him through his eyes, so he prays God to turn his eyes away from it and prays as a cure for the evil, Quicken me. Brothers, are you ever fascinated by a sin? Whenever you've been conscious of that diabolical fascination, it's been time to cry, Quicken thou me in thy way. I see I am weaker than I thought I was. Lord, I was carried away with anger when I thought I'd gained a quiet temper at last. Lord, I found my heart going after an evil which I thought I had no relish for. Give me more grace, good master. Quicken me in your way. Or what about a season of great affliction? For the 107th verse teaches us that I'm afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to your word. And now he's drawing in from those other references to reviving in the psalm. Times of great temptation of spirit and trial of soul should be seasons for praying that God would give us extraordinary grace. When we've been confessing past sloth, we should pray for grace to resist it for the future. What of extraordinary service? Does the Lord lay upon us a heavy burden for his name? Don't let us shirk it or say, I cannot do it. No, Lord, quicken me, give me more grace, and then I shall be equal to any emergency, for as my days, my strength shall be. And then, bringing it very close to home, this prayer is suitable to the members of this church, says Spurgeon, because at this time we've seen so many of the good and excellent among us taken away. And that perhaps is uh, the indication into the state of mind of Spurgeon as he preaches, that he's conscious that some of the, the perhaps maturer and the uh, more vigorous and the more committed members of the congregation have been called home. He says, it scarcely seems as if the Lord would leave us any. And perhaps this speaks to the intensity, almost, could we say, the holy agitation of this sermon, this Pressing need that uh, overflowed out of his soul in that uh, wide-ranging survey of the the, the demands that are upon the saints. He says, this week another valuable brother's been born to the tomb and the last few months God's been sweeping away one and another from from us. So surely then, everyone remaining should say, Lord, quicken me. Grant that I may live, so that if I am also soon to be removed, I shall have finished my course and have fought the fight right through and gained the crown which grace has promised. Perhaps within the course of another week, this black upon my pulpit, it means a black cloth that would have been hung there in order to signify the loss of a member, may wear a third significance, as it has a double one already, from which of us shall it derive its third meaning? Do I stand here to preach in feebleness my last sermon to you? It's a sense of eternity, time coming to an end, uh, the, the, the weight of the time that he has. Do my beloved church officers sit around me for the last time? Have I here members of this fellowship who are now upon this last occasion gathered for united worship? Brothers, it may be so. Then let us pray for quickening, that we may live while we live and waste no precious moment of our scant earthly existence. The needs of our church are very great. If I stood in a harvest field and saw that the crop needed to be ingathered and that a labourer was working in it till he fainted again and again, and if I saw him in great feebleness grasping the sickle still, impelled by a brave spirit which kept him to his work, I think I should pray. Lord, help me to reap too, to go into that mass of standing corn and reap too, for I see thy servant overdone with service. O my fellow servants, bought with the same blood, the harvest truly is plenty, but the labourers few. I entreat you, by the blood and wounds of him who bought you, let not a single one turn away, but rise up and serve God with heart and soul and strength. Spurgeon is pressing it into the consciences of the people in front of him. But what of us? How conscious are we that our days may be drawing to a close, that we may not have many hours left in which to labour for the Lord? Is it not then necessary that we should pray at this time, O Lord, quicken me, enliven me, stir me up, revive me, make me useful, O God, Stir my soul to feel a sense of the importance of living now for your glory and honour, that I might not be slack and slow and slothful. Spurgeon says, if standing in this pulpit to preach to crowds, I do not stir my soul and preach earnestly, how shall I answer for it? When blood shall be upon these skirts in the day of judgment, the crimson of souls damned through my indolence, how shall I answer for it? great God forbid that it should ever be and what he's just been saying that example of men like him who've lived all out that example of men who've preached as dying men to dying men that standard that has been set the fact that he has gone and that others should be serving as he served May it be with you as well as with me, each one according to his responsibility and position, says Spurgeon, to speak, to live, to serve, as those who know that the time is coming when the scope for present quickening will be past, and will be waiting only for the reviving of the, uh, the great day when Christ comes again. So until then, says Spurgeon, let us pray, let us plead, let us seek that God would enliven us. And he closes, as so often, with a final note to the dead souls, asking God's people to pray for them, assuring them that he will pray for them, that the gospel which is commanded to preach even to the dead in sin may come with quickening power to their souls, asking that the Lord would lead them to obey the word. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. Well, I hope that Spurgeon's intensity has carried somewhat to you. I'm sorry if I've been a a poor channel of it, but I trust that it's been, at least in some measure, stirring. Do join us then again next week. If the Lord spares us to continue with work such as this, we'll be reading then Sermons 1074 through to 1080, And our featured sermon next week, if you're only able to read the one, will be 1074, uh, the Paraclete, from John chapter 14 and verse 16. So may God bless this, and if we're still here next week, that also to our souls. And may he enliven us, quicken us, stir us in the way. Thank you for listening. Head over to mediagratii.org if you want to find out more. come back again next week. God bless.